by the way, I'm Dave Mitchell, and uh, I also am a pastor here at Calvary Church, and we welcome you to uh, our celebration worship as we continue on a journey in the book of Judges. One of the things we do here on Sunday mornings is we take a book of the Bible and work our way through it, allow God to teach us. We're in the book of Judges, and the theme of the book of Judges is called overcoming. We want to overcome things, and this morning we're going to be talking about overcoming a weak faith. And so if you have weak faith, this would be a message that you might find applicable, practical, and relevant for you. The book of Judges, as we have shown you each week, is a book of cycles. Uh, The people are walking with the Lord, they become self-satisfied and independent, and then they begin to sin. And uh, then God at some point brings discipline to them to get them back to where they should be in walking with the Lord as they cry out. And eventually get back to the Lord and then they go through that cycle again. In the book of Judges, the reason we call it Judges is because God uses judges. Not judges like we think of judges today where you have to go before a judge for some civil or criminal behavior. Uh, The judges there were those that would help to uh, provide justice to be sure. But also you'd bring your matters of life. You know, I had an agreement with this businessman and uh, he reneged on the deal. Whatever the case might be, so you'd go before them. So God raised up judges. In those days there was no king and they didn't follow the Lord. In Judges 21-25, every person did what was right in their own eyes. They lived in a period of time of moral relativism. Each one did what was right in their own eyes. And that's why you see this cyclical thing going on. My concern and my burden for the church in general, the church, capital C Church of America and Macedonia and other places around the world, is that we become a more mature group of followers of Jesus. The challenge of the church in the history in the past, the last uh, maybe 30 years, the church has been so concerned about being user-friendly to people who are seeking Jesus that we've lost a little bit of the maturing process of those who are already following Jesus. And so we are doing some heavy lifting in the book of Judges, and next Sunday is it going to be one of the heaviest chapters to deal with. But this morning we want to talk about Gideon. Many of us know Gideon. There's an organization called the Gideons. And, uh, but there is Gideon who we often think of as the guy who had the fleece, who had very little trust in God. Gideon was living in a region of the world. You can see the little red dot that's up there. And Gideon is a young man we're going to learn about. And he is a man who had tremendously weak faith. And he's a guy that a lot of us can identify with. And sometimes God picks out people that are the most unsuspecting types and blesses them in mighty ways. I don't know that Malcolm Butler is a believer or not, But I just want to remind you that last week I predicted that the Patriots are going to win. And so I said that there would be an unexpected... Remember the last... Anybody remember last Sunday? Uh, Unexpected heroes, unexpected heroes is the theme. And I said that there would be an unexpected hero that God would use. And I was really close. I thought it was going to be Matthew Slater. It was actually Malcolm Butler in the remaining 30 seconds or 10, 20 seconds of the game. And Malcolm Butler... Uh, was a guy that was undrafted. They already had 90 players. And they said, well, let's just give Butler this Butler from West Alabama uh, University, wherever that is. It must be in Alabama and on the west side of the state. But uh, they finally brought him on, and uh, he was just sort of an afterthought. 
and then they stuck him in on probably the most significant play in the history of football. I'm a, I'm a pastor. We always exaggerate. Um, and, of course, as you all know, he caught and intercepted the play that won the Patriots the game. And this is not like Gideon in many ways, but in some ways, the reason we're still talking about it today, well, I'm talking about it, you're putting it up with it. Um, the reason I'm still talking about it today is because of the unique nature of somebody who was a nobody, if I can say that respectfully about Malcolm Butler. He's not on anybody's radar. Nobody knew who he was. He barely was on the team, but he happened to be in the play at the right time and intercepted that pass. And because he's sort of a nobody, the ordinary, if you will, we are still marveling how that was the person that intercepted the play. And when you ask Malcolm Butler, um, according to the reports, he said, when I saw what they were set up to do, I recognized the play they were going to run because we had practiced that play. And the backup quarterback had thrown that same pass to a player on the Patriots in practice, and Butler was burned on that play. So he said, I knew the play. I knew how I didn't do it the right time in practice, and so I had my chance in the real game to intercept that play. It's because he understood the opponent's strategy. He had trained to defeat the opponent in his own strategy, and he was able to step in and have the victory. That's the kind of thinking that we want to learn from Gideon. Gideon is a man that we understand how God works through Gideon, and then we understand the strategy of the enemy, but we also understand the strategy of God so that when we're in the real game, and most of us are in the real game every day, we're living in the real world. This isn't some fantasy Super Bowl thing that most of us live in. We are in this, this realm of reality where we understand how God is operating and what He expects from me so that we're ready for when the play comes, I'm there available to be used by God. And so that's what I want to look at. One of the things that comes across are some of the areas of weakness. You have an outline that I encourage you to use. Uh, one of the things that we, I like to really emphasize when it comes to uh, the text, especially Old Testament stories, and I've said this time and again, say it again because not everybody hears everything the first time or the second time, is that when you go through a book like Judges, and I have a lot of very practical things that come out of these chapters, chapters 6 and 7, that, that if you're a student of God's Word, you want to mature and grow in your faith, one of the things that you try to achieve is this. You look at what happened in the Old Testament, and the, you know that according to Romans 15.4 and 1 Corinthians as well, that God told us the Old Testament story so we can learn how God works, so we can learn how men and women should operate, so we learn how we should respond to what God is doing. And the way I like to catch phrase it is uh, there are temporary practices in the Old Testament. Gideon's going to go to battle against 135,000 Midianites. How many of you plan to go to a battle of 135,000 Midianites? Nobody in this room. No one in this room is going to go to battle with 135,000 Midianites. That's the story. Well, if that's the story, why would that be relevant for me? It's not relevant in the literal sense. But when you take from it timeless principles, 
that still are relevant for us today, then you come up with an outline that looks a little bit like this, that shows here's the practical, here's the pragmatic, here's the applicable that comes out of that story. And that's what we'd like to do this morning. And the first thing that I noticed that comes out of Judges 6 as I read through this thing and considered why is this important for me to know today, I noted some of the things that cause Gideon's faith to be weak. If you feel like you have weak faith and you're not trusting God the way you really would need to, and you're, you're facing some opposition, it's not 135,000 Midianites, but it may be somebody in your place of business, a neighbor, it may be a health issue, it may be a financial issue, then you need to have strong faith to be able to overcome it. Well, weak faith does not overcome strong enemies. Here are some of the reasons why there was weak faith. Let me read from Judges chapter 6. And if you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn to me with me. If you do not have a Bible, there's a Bible in the chair rack. I encourage you to take that as well. But in Judges chapter 6, verse 1, here's what we read as we are introduced into the story, the life of Gideon. Then the sons of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. Again, that cyclical thing. And the Lord gave them into the hands of the Midian seven years. So seven years of battling Midianites. The Midianites are on the eastern side of the nation of Israel as we know it today. And uh, maybe it's like the area of, of Jordan, some of those regions of the world today. So the power of Midian prevailed against Israel because the Midian, the sons of Israel, made for themselves the dens which were in the mountains and the caves and the strongholds. And it was when Israel had sown that the Midianites would come up with the Amalekites, the Amalekites, people from the south that would come up, so the Midianites, people from the east, would come across. And the sons of the east would go against them. So they would camp against them and destroy the produce of the earth as far as Gaza. We even read about Gaza in the paper today. And leave no sustenance in Israel as well as no sheep or ox or donkey. For they would come up with their livestock and their tents and they would come and the like locusts for number, both they and their camels. And one of the use of the camels were innumerable. The use of camels is a sort of a unique military strategy of these Midianites. And uh, one of the first times it's introduced here in the Bible. And they came into the land to devastate it. So Israel was brought very low because of Midian. The sons of Israel cried to the Lord. Now when it uh, came about when the sons of Israel cried to the Lord on the account of Midian, that the Lord sent a prophet to the sons of Israel... And here's this prophet. We don't know who he is. He was like Deborah last week. She was a prophetess. Here's a prophet who is going to speak God's words to these people. And thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, it was I who brought you up from Egypt and brought you out from the house of slavery. I delivered you from the hands of the Egyptians and from the hands of all your oppressors and dispossessed them before the you and gave you their land. And I said to you, I am the Lord, your God. You shall not fear the gods of the Amorites in whose land you live, but you have not obeyed me. Here are some of the things that I'm noticing. Here's what's happening in the big picture. In the uh, harvest season of the nation of Israel, when the farmers are going out to harvest the crops, the Midianites and the Amalekites and probably some other tribes, they're nomadic. So you see them bringing with their camels and their tents. They would come into the land of Israel and they would uh, take all the produce that has been harvested. So they were like leeches. They were coming in, not doing the work, but reaping the harvest of the work. And the Israelites were cowering in fear. It says they were in caves. They were in dens. They didn't have any way to oppose the Midianites. So they would 
grow their crops all year long. And then when harvest season came, the Mennonites and the Amalekites would take it all from them. And so that's seven years of uh, really not having enough food. And they're going to starve out the Israelites in the process of that. So they have a weak faith. And here are some of the qualities, excuse me, of what causes us today and caused them then to have weak faith. Here's some timeless principles that makes my faith weak. The first thing I noticed is my view of sin. My observation is that they openly disobeyed God and it caused them to forget all the good God had ever done in their lives. They were openly disobeying God. As God says in verse 9, I delivered you from the hands of the Egyptians. I did all this powerful stuff. I parted the Red Sea. I did so many miracles for you. But then in verse 10, I am the Lord your God. You shall not fear the gods of the Amorites in whose land you live, but you have not obeyed me. When I openly rebel in disobedience, my faith shrinks. I don't have confidence that God's going to take care of me. I forget the past. I don't remember all the good He's done for me. I don't recall all the faithfulness that He's had for me. Current sin in my life causes weak faith. That should not be a newsflash. But that's what happens. When my view of sin is small, when my view of unrighteousness is diminished, when I don't see the evil of sin that's in this world today or in my own personal experience, my faith is going to shrink. I won't, ha- I won't be able to stand up to the battles, the challenges, the obstacles that God will permit into my life. The second area in my view of God. Their view of God is very diminished. You notice in verse, let me re- read in verse 11. And then the angel of the Lord came and sat under the oak that was in Oprah. You notice there's often, the, there's a special tree where people gather. Remember, Deborah had her own tree named after her. Well, here's this oak that was in Oprah. We don't know who that is. And I don't think it's the same Oprah that we know of today. Uh, she may have her own oak, but it's not here. Which belonged to Joash and Abrazite, uh that's the father of Gideon, as his son Gideon was beating out wheat in the wine press in order to save it from the Midianites. So here's Gideon in a wine press. Now that's not where you normally beat out wheat. He was there in a wine press because he was fearful of what the Midianites would do. Oh, normally you go out in the open, you have this big maybe slab of, of a rock and you throw it up and you let the wind drive away the chaff so that you can have the wheat harvest. Well, he's here in a wine press trying to save it all from the Midianites who wanted to steal it in this harvest season. And so the angel of the Lord, the angel of the Lord is the pre-incarnate Jesus. Jesus did not begin his existence at the birth with Mary. Jesus is God. He has always existed. The second person of the Trinity, Jesus has always existed. And there are occasions in the Old Testament where Jesus appears appears as a human but does not does not have the human flesh that he was born with through Mary his mother so here is Christ the angel of the lord as he's referred to appeared to him and said to him the lord is with you o valiant warrior then gideon said to him o my lord if the lord is with us why then has all this happened to us that's how his weak faith again he's forgotten about god where are all his miracles? Which his fathers told us about, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us, given us into the hand of a Midian. When my view of God is that I think he's abandoned me, that God doesn't care about my problems, 
that I'm suffering and God doesn't care. When that's my view of God, my faith shrinks. And if you're beginning to think because you have problems or issues or struggles that God somehow has forgotten or abandoned you, your view of God is too small. So, number one, if your view of sin is very small, that sin's not all that bad, and these things I'm doing, they're not, not, they're not really that wrong, and, and we live in a 21st century, and so therefore it should be more acceptable these days. If that's your view of sin, your faith is shrinking. If your view of God, that He abandoned you, your faith is shrinking. The view of God's Word, that I can no longer trust it. Notice it says, The Lord looked at him in verse 14, Go in this your strength and deliver Israel from the hand of Midian. Have I not sent you? And he said to him, O Lord, how shall I deliver Israel? Behold, my family is the least in Manasseh, and I am the youngest in my father's house. But the Lord said to him, Surely I will be with you, and you shall defeat Midian as one man. And so Gideon said to him, If I have now find, found favor in your sight, show me a sign. God said, I'll be with you. God said, I will help you defeat Midian. And Gideon said, I don't trust what you tell me. Principle number three, timeless. If my view of God's Word is I can read this, I hear what he says, and I say to God, I don't think I trust you. I see it in your word, but that's not good enough for me. I need more. Your faith is shrinking. View of sin, sin's small, no big deal. I can get away with it. Everyone's doing it. It's 21st century. View of God, God's abandoned me. God doesn't care about me. Look at all my problems. He doesn't seem to help me. He's helping them, not helping me. My view of God, my sin, my, weak, my faith is shrinking. If my view of God's Word is that uh, I know that it says that, that I should do that, but I don't think that I really have to really take God at His Word because, uh, you know, in this uh, relativistic, uh, uh, no absolute truth world, I don't think that I need to really follow what He has to say. When that's your perspective, you've got weak faith, whether you admit it or not. When my view of myself is that I am like Gideon, as he says here in verse 15, he says, O oh Lord, how shall I deliver Israel? Behold, my family is the least in Manasseh, and I am the youngest in my father's house. When my view of myself is that I am inadequate, unworthy, unable, and no matter what he asks of me, I can't do it, then you've got weak faith. God has given to us commands in his word that he requires for us to obey him. And there are so many today that think, I, I can never do that. I, I can never live like a Christian. I can never give up certain things, certain habitual behaviors. I can never give up the addiction. I can never uh, love my spouse the way I need to. I can never live in obedience to God on the job site. I can never live in an ethical integrity moral integrity of my life with those that I work with. If you knew the people I had to work with, you would know why there's compromise constantly I have to deal with. When I have a mindset that I am unable to do what God says I have to do, I've got weak faith. When that's my view of myself, God's Word, God Himself, sin, those are destructive perspectives. And probably, if you have weak faith, it may revolve around one or more of those qualities. 
that you're just not being honest with a God. You're not allowing Him to make it clear to you. You're deluded. I don't know what it is. But I suspect that so many of us live with a weak faith because somewhere in those views of life, they're tearing our hearts apart. And God doesn't want that. So what God does for Gideon, He strengthens him. And these are the same things that I believe God will do for us today. And there's plenty of New Testament passages to teach us. Here are some general principles to help us strengthen our faith that comes out of this wonderful passage. In this portion that I've just read, here is what God would have us to know. To have my faith get stronger, I need to understand this. That painful circumstances can be a refining process to reveal my need of God. That God allows some sort of disciplinary action. That's why it says in verse 6, chapter 6. So Israel was brought very low because of Midian and the sons of Israel cried to the Lord. One of the things that God does, and God does do this, and I don't, I don't say that I could ever manage this as well as God can, because it's, it's hard for me to even admit this, but that God brings painful things into our lives so that we have to admit, I can't handle this anymore. He brings us down. So they, they cried to God, says, God, the Midianites, for seven years, we grow our crops, we harvest our crops, they steal our crops, we've got no food. After seven years, we're dying out here, we're famished. It's not fair. So what do the Israelites do? They cry out to God. And God says, well, finally... It's nice to hear from you again. Sometimes God brings pain so that I don't self-manage in a self-reliant, selfish kind of way. But I say, God, this is not a life I can live on my own. I recognize a higher need. That's why Hebrews 12.10 says this, For they disciplined us for a short time as seemed best to them, but God disciplines us for our own good, so we might share in His holiness. All of us who are parents have had children who have disobeyed. How many of you never disciplined your child when they disobeyed you? You sort of let them get away with it. Do you visit, th- visit them up in San Quentin now? Because uh, that's probably where they end up. Why do we discipline our children when they were little? We love them. We don't want you to continue to do that. We think you should stop. You're cheating on your test at school. We, we, sh- we think you should stop. You beat up your little brother. We think that's a bad idea. You know? And, and on the list goes. You get the idea. It's, it's so trite, but we think, but God doesn't want to treat us that way. Yes, He does. We who are followers of Jesus are His children. And just as you and I who are parents discipline our kids because we want to stop a behavior and we want to start a new, better behavior, God does that too. And one of the reasons God does that is so that we can share in His holiness. So God allows pain, like the Midianites coming and stealing all their crops, so that they now cry to the Lord. God says, good. That's what I'm looking for. Expect and understand how painful circumstances are God's way of getting our attention so that we live in dependency on Him. A second thing I notice is that Jesus will pursue us even if you feel unworthy and abandoned. This is what I love about Gideon. 
It says, the angel of the Lord appeared to him, as I said in verse 12. The angel of the Lord appeared to him and says, the Lord is with you, O valiant warrior. Now this is the remarkable. This is why this uh, caught my attention. Gideon is not doing anything that would cause God to say, Gideon, what a wonderful child of mine you are. Gideon is, is living in sin. Gideon and his family were Baal worshipers. They're living in sin. There's nothing about Gideon's life where he's saying, God, I, I'm so thankful to be your child and I just want to write a psalm to get in the book of Psalms so I can praise you. Gideon was not seeking God. Gideon was doing his own thing in a wine press, cowering in fear over the enemies. There was nothing about Gideon that God says, because you did that, Gideon, now I want to come and visit you. Gideon was uh, so unworthy, so inadequate, so unable, so small in his own mind's eye, so worthless, so sinful, so rebellious. For seven years of rebellion against God, no thought of repentance. For seven years, rebellion and sin, but no thought of repentance. And what does God do? God visits him. You know, every time you think that I'm so unworthy, I don't have what it takes, I'm so unloving and unlovable to God, if you knew what was in my heart, if you knew what was in my mind, you saw my private behavior, you see what I see on the computer, you see what I think in my mind's eye, lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, a pride of life. If you saw all the terrible things that I think about and do in my life and and I come to church on Sunday morning and I kind of go through the motions, but I, I still have all these others, all this baggage that's so wrong. If you knew me the way God knows me, you'd know that God would never want to seek me out. Well, that's a lie from hell. Jesus Christ came to seek out Gideon. Gideon, the least, the, the Malcolm Butler of Israel. <laughs> the least likely star. Why? Because God says, I want you to understand that I don't care how sinful you are. I don't care how unworthy you are. I don't care how small you feel, how ordinary everybody says you are, like, that's me. Jesus says, I want to seek you out. I come to meet you. That's what I love about this. Ephesians tells us that just as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him in love. He chose us before the world was created. You think God has to see something measurable in us before He comes to us? No. He comes to us. And we need to grow in our knowledge of God and understand. He says, Your identity and strength, the Lord is with you, O valiant warrior. This is how God sees Gideon. And if God sees Gideon this way, imagine how He sees us. He calls him a valiant warrior. That's not the term I would have used for Gideon. I would have called him a worthless fool. But he says you're a valiant warrior. And the word valiant means to be able, to be worthy, to be wealthy, to be powerful, to be strong. He says, Gideon, when I empower you, this is who you're going to become. I need to see myself as God sees me. My identity is not in who I think I am. My identity is in who God has made me to become. My identity is in who, when Christ is in me, He gives me a new capacity, a new life. I am a new creation. When I see myself that way, my faith begins to grow. And also, I grow in my knowledge of the patience and the grace of God. I'm not going to take the time, but one of the things that, that Gideon did in 18 through 22, I don't have time to go through it, but let me summarize. 
Gideon says, I, I, want, to, I want to build a, an altar to worship you if you're really Jesus. And so he does that. He says, wait here. So for several hours, Gideon runs off and prepares a, a, a meal of sacrifice. And he says to Jesus, will you just hang out and just do nothing for a while? I'll be back in a couple hours. You know, if I'm Jesus, I've I, I got a world to manage. I don't have time to sit here and wait. No, but Jesus, okay, I'll just hang out here until you get back. So what is Jesus doing for a couple of hours just kind of hanging out in Israel? as he watches the Midianites raid the Israelites. But that's what he does. He's so patient as Gideon wants to concoct this little altar of worship. And he does. And God does a miracle with that altar of worship as he goes on there. But let me get to some specific things that God does to strengthen our faith. Those are some general things. You have it on the outline. Review it. Let God marinate those things in your heart and your mind. But here's specifically what you might expect God to do because He doesn't want anybody in this room to have weak faith. That's not something, that's not a goal of His. I'm so excited about my all my weak faith children, you know. That doesn't get His blood racing. He wants us to have strong faith. He wants us to have maturing faith. The first thing that I notice about this in a very specific way is that God says, the first thing I'm going to ask you to do is to get your life right with me. If there's any sin in there, I need to clean it out. In verse 23 to 27, God gives to Gideon his first assignment. Little steps of obedience lead to greater steps of obedience. In Judges 6.23, the Lord said to him, Peace to you, do not fear, you shall not die, because he saw Jesus or he saw God. Then Gideon built an altar there to the Lord and named it the Lord is Peace. To this day it is still in Oprah of the Aborazites. Now on the same night, here's what God tells Gideon to do. The Lord said to him, Take your father's bowl and a second bowl, seven years old, and pull down the altar of Baal which belongs to your father. See, Gideon and his father, they're Baal worshipers. And cut down the Asherah, which is another goddess of that day that is beside it. And built an altar to the Lord your God on the top of the stronghold in an orderly manner. And take a second bowl and offer a burnt offering with the wood of the Asherah, and you shall cut down. Then Gideon took ten men of his servants and did as the Lord had spoken to him. And because he was too afraid of his father's household and the men of the city to do it by, by day, he did it at night. So at midnight, Gideon's out there whacking away on the poles. And the bowl is pulling it down. And they're going to have a little bonfire with all that stuff. So here's, how patient is God? He says, get in, go do it. He says, well, can I do it at night when no one would know? That's Gideon. But that's God. What's the first thing that God asks Gideon to do to defeat the 135,000 Midianites? He says, Gideon, you need to get your life right with me. I'm not sending you out to battle when you've got Baal worship going on in your home. If you want to have strong faith, and we're glad you're here on Sunday morning, listen to me rattle on for a half an hour longer, sorry. If you want to have strong faith, but you've got something in your heart that is not right with God, and you know it's not right, and your view of sin, that's, that's not that big a deal, come on, you're getting too picky now, you're stepping on my toes... Uh, get with it, the 21st century, those things aren't really wrong anymore. We've kind of modified in our moral relativistic way those things as being really kind of 
cultural things. They're not sinful things. Well, if that's your mindset, you cannot get from here to a strong faith. Because a strong faith begins on the premise of what God did to Gideon. Gideon, go to daddy and wipe out all the sin of Baal worship. And then you'll prove to me you're serious. Because until that thing happens, we're not going out there. There's no fleece. There's no battle, 135,000 Midianites. Forget about all that stuff. You do this first. Small steps of obedience lead to bigger steps of obedience. And so Gideon says, okay, God, I will clean out the sin. And that's the beginning point. That's the timeless principle. Make peace with God by removing any sin that separates you from Jesus. Secondly, trust in God's clear word more than a fleece. And here we come to this very familiar fleece chapter. In 636, it says, Then Gideon said to God, If you will deliver Israel through me as you have spoken. Again, he doesn't trust God's word. He says, I need more evidence of your power. Behold, I will put a fleece of wool in the threshing floor. If there is dew in the fleece only and it is dry on the ground, then I will know that you will deliver Israel through me as you have spoken. And so it was so. So that's what God did. He did exactly what Gideon asked. Dew on the fleece, this little piece of a lamb's skin, but dry on the ground. Well, you would think that would be good enough, but not for Gideon. And so he arose early the next morning, the fleece... And squeezed the fleece and he drained the dew from the fleece in a bowl full of water. So God did what Gideon asked him to do in giving him a fleece. Then Gideon said to God, says, oh, don't get angry with me. But I, you know, I got one more thing to ask, Lord. I, I, you know, I really want to defeat that 135,000 Midianites, but, oh man, uh, just uh, one more, one more question. Please let me make a test once more with a fleece. Let it now be dry only on the fleece and let there be dew on the ground. That's a bigger miracle. So the fleece is dry, the ground is wet, in opposite to what he just said. And here is how gracious God is. God did so that night, for it was dry only on the fleece and dew was on the ground. God pampered the weak faith of Gideon to move him forward. But you know what God really loves? Is that we read His Word and we just obey. Now, I'm not going to put down fleeces, but understand what this fleece is and what it's not. Sometimes we have what we call fleeces where we say, you know, Lord, should I do this or shouldn't I do this? The only one time that I can remember being so specifically divinely intervened by God, and maybe I've shared it here before, but years ago uh, we were thinking about buying a car and it was a used car in a car lot of a dealer. And so I'd gone, negotiated a deal, price, specific car, and I wasn't sure. So I went home because talked to Joy, get the money together. And then I remember I was standing in our bedroom at, on Rancho Road in Corona, so a long time ago. And I said, Lord, if you don't want me to buy this car, would you stop me? right now and when I right after I put the period on now the phone rang so I picked it up hello and this is so and so from the car dealership yes I have somebody here with cash that wants to buy that car and unless you get down here right now you're gonna lose that car I said sell it I'm done thank you Lord 
It was like God called me, but I think it was just a used car salesman. <laughs> Not that used car salesmen can't be used by God. God loves to use fleeces on occasions like that where I don't know what God's will is, so God, keep me from doing some bonehead stupid thing, you know? <laughs> so ask Him. But you know what this fleece is generally for Gideon? It's a sign of weak faith. He already knew what God's will was. What was God's will? Rally an army, defeat 135,000 Midianites. He knew God's will. This fleece is not to know God's will. This fleece is to somehow cowardly back into doing God's will by asking some sort of affirmation because I'm really not sure and I am so uncertain of myself. This fleece is a sign of weak faith, not a bold faith. It's a sign of not trusting God's word. And that's what God does not love. Remember Thomas. Thomas, show me, Thomas says, show me the, the, the holes in your side and your hands. Then I'll believe. And Jesus says, okay, Thomas, here you go. And then Jesus says, blessed are those who do not see and yet believe. That's a greater blessing of saying, God, if that's what your word says, I'm going for it. And I put some material in the back of the outline, the digging deeper on fleeces. And you're welcome to read that at your own leisure. Let me just finish up here, and then you can read it a little bit later. There are some other things that here's what God will do. He will sift us. In verses 2 through 7, here is this great little storyline that many of us read. You go over to Israel, you always sit by this little creek. We are by the creek there last spring. You sit by the creek and you hear the story of Gideon. This is where the creek thing happens. In verse 2 of chapter 7, the Lord said to Gideon, The people who are with you are too many to give... Uh, for me to give Midian into your hands, for the Israel would become boastful, saying, My own power has delivered me. So here's what happens. You know the story for the sake of time. He starts out with 32,000 men, and he wills all the way down to 300 men, and he does it by those who lap the water a certain way. I'm not going to get lost in the, in the weeds of the details of that because it's not very clear as to why he chose those two methods. There are beliefs about why he chose those methods. I'm not going to go down that road because it's not clear to me. But the fact of the matter, and here's the timeless principle, that God says you got 32,000 to fight 135,000, too much. Because as he said there, my own power has delivered me. So I want you to whittle it down to 300. Here's the timeless principle. Sometimes God says you've got too much. You're too self-reliant. You're too independent. Things are going so well that I'm afraid, as Hosea 13, 6 says, you became satisfied, and being satisfied, you became proud. And when you became proud, you forgot about God. That's what Hosea 13, 6 tells us. That's what happens to Gideon. And God says, I don't want that to happen again. You people have been away from me, and now I want you to trust me more. So what God does sometimes, as we learn from Gideon and other passages as well, He sifts our faith. He diminishes what we have. Sometimes it's through health. Some of you are battling some struggles in health, and it's causing you to trust God even more. Some of you are battling unemployment. You don't have the finances that you need to really sustain in your business, in your home. And it could be there's a sifting going on where God is saying, I'm going to show you the pleasure of trusting me even more. And as we pray, we pray every Tuesday night for those prayer requests that you turn in. We pray for many of you regularly who turn in those faithful prayer requests. And it's a blessing to read how God is teaching you dependence on Him as you're learning the sifting 
of your faith because you don't have the resources that you think you really need. But God keeps coming through. So God sifts our faith to help us to grow and trust Him more. And that's what God is teaching us in Gideon. So He freely asks this thing. Gideon goes out there and and without going into the detail, uh, that Gideon goes into the camp of the Midianites. And one of the things that happens when he goes into the camp of the Midianites to kind of check them out, he hears two Midian people talking to each other. And one has a dream. And the dream's interpretation is that this is Gideon who's going to defeat us. And Gideon overhears this man talking about a dream of Gideon defeating them. And Gideon hears that and he says, Okay, God, I get it. I'll go. God says, Go there. And so God affirms every so often, we need affirmation. We need, God says, you know, I'm not sure, Lord, am I really walking where you want me to walk? Am I doing what you want me to do? Am I being who you want me to be? And what God did in Judges 7, 9 through 15, I encourage you to read it on your own because I'm out of time. But where Gideon goes into the camp and he hears that dream and God uses those two Midianites interpreting their own dream that is Gideon's defeat of the Midianites. Gideon says, oh man, Lord, thank you. I needed one more nudge. I mean, how many miracles did Gideon get? That's <laughs> just incredible. I mean, how much does it take to get, to get his attention? And I tell you what, I do that regularly. There's any number of days in my job where I don't like what I see or don't like what I hear and there's not evidence that I believe shows the presence of God. And that's my weak faith. And I can't tell you how many times this last year where I've had to stop and say, Lord, would you just affirm me? Am I who you need me to be? Am I the one you need me to be? And I can't tell you how many times I pray that prayer. And I'm saying every time, but I'm saying many times and most times, if not every time, when I honestly say, God, give me some faith. Affirm me in who I am and what I'm doing. And I can't tell you that within 24 hours, I get a note, I get a comment, I see a certain behavior or response from some people, and suddenly it's like God shows up and says, Okay, Dave. And I say, Lord, I'm sorry, I'm like Gideon. But every so often I need the nudge too. We all need that. We all need the nudge. We need the encouragement. We need people to come alongside us to say, you know what, you're doing well. That's why we have life groups. People come alongside and you're doing well. We need prayer warriors that surround us. We support support you. We prop you up. We see God's hand on you. We come alongside you. That's why we have discipleship ministries here. We encourage you to get involved in the discipleship ministry where you get with one other man and one other man walks the walk of faith with you. So your faith gets stronger. If you're a woman, we have mentors who come alongside and help you. We have a Mentor Me ministry in the bulletin today. A Mentor Me ministry coming up here in another week or so. Where you can come alongside someone who's maybe walked a little bit longer than you have. And they can come alongside and be that affirming voice of God for your life. We encourage you to have a faith that is growing. And the last thing that Gideon does here, and I'm way over time, but I wish we had more time on this chapter, but he steps forward and being, just do it. I know what God wants, now I'm going to do it. And he goes and he defeats the Midianites. 
And he takes the heads of those that were the enemy kings and he cuts them off. Somehow beheading in the Middle East is sort of a cultural phenomenon. But he takes those heads of those enemies and he brings them home. If you want to have strong faith, you go through that list on that outline there. And I don't have justice to do all the time we need on that. He says, God, which of these do you want me to work on today? And who do you want to surround me with to affirm me to the direction you would have me to go? Whether it's discipleship, life group, mentor me, alpha course this Wednesday night. You've got a registration card there. You load the card in the chair rack. You say, God, you put on that card. And when the offering is passed here in a moment, you put on that card, I want to be part of the discipleship. I want my faith to grow. I want to be in a life group. I want my faith to grow. I want to join Alpha. I want my faith to grow. I want to be part of Mentor Me. I want my faith to grow. That's your opportunity to say, God, I don't want to live like Gideon anymore. I want to live in the power of your strength. Grow my faith. Here's an opportunity to do that. Let me pray. Father God, we thank you that you're a gracious God that wants to work in our lives. Father, there are so many days when most of us, I think, have Gideon-like experiences where we say we are unworthy, we are unable, we are ordinary, and we don't count. God, that's a weakness and a vulnerability for many of us in this room. I pray, God, that we would hear your voice today, that as you came to Gideon in the midst of his Baal worship, You want to come to us, no matter what we're doing. And may we know you in a fresh and clear and new way. May we see that you see within us, O valiant warrior, as you did in Gideon. May you see within us a desire to grow our faith. May we expand in the faith that we currently have, whether small or great, to become more of what you are going to do to shape us to be like Jesus. And we thank you for it in Christ's name. Amen.